so obvious. So I'm going to read from the end of Mark 7 for us, and you can follow along if you want to in the order of worship. It's printed there. You can also follow along in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Mark 7. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. So, Father, as we have uh, already heard prayed this morning, and we've heard it with our minds, and now we're asking that you would help us to find it to be true with our hearts. This is a day that was made for joy and gladness. Father, we pray that we would experience that as true, every one of us in here this morning, no matter who we are and where we've come from. Father, I ask that this thing that we just sang together, that you are the lovely source of true delight, that we would find that to be absolutely true. Even if we're here this morning, we would never dreamed of using those words or never imagined of thinking of you in that way. Make it true for us. Show us Jesus' grace and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, let me, uh, let me start by reading some words that probably most of us in here this morning um, have either read or heard already probably multiple times this week. The whole world actually has read or heard these words in some form or another this week. Here they are. Uh, I hope you can see clear your way clear to letting this go to letting Flynn go. He is a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Now these words have caused quite a ruckus this week, haven't they? They, uh, they are words that mean a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. And of course it remains to be seen what these words will become for any of us. Maybe we will forget about these words in a year. Maybe we won't. But here is the one thing that is indisputably true about these words. They are a leak. That's what we have somewhat absurdly come to call this stuff in our culture. They are leaks. They are information offered up through back channels because offering them through the normal channels is dangerous or it's forbidden or it's not expedient or any one of a number of those things at once. And this is a leak that has caused lots of things in our common life to happen over the last few days. And so this brings me to one of those strange and beautiful details that I mentioned that's at the heart of this story that we just read and heard together. 
And that is that Jesus clearly has a problem with leaks. We've seen it a bunch already in Mark's Gospel. I mean, this, this is what I mean. Jesus can heal unclean spirits. He can make them go away with a word or a look. We've seen him silence these incredible storms, unfathomably dangerous storms, by just the word of his command. We've seen him walk on water. He can do all kinds of stuff. But it seems for all the world like the one thing that he can't do is get people to stop talking about what he's doing. He has got a problem with leaks. I mean, it's right there at the end of the story. Mark says that Jesus sternly charged the people not to tell anyone what had happened, but it had the opposite effect. Mark says the more he charged them, the more zealously they blabbed it around. Their leaking was directly proportionate to Jesus' insistence that they not leak. Jesus wants people to keep some of his secrets, and it's like they're not even trying. (laughs) They cough up all of the details right away. It's almost as if Mark wants us to know. It's almost as if Mark is going out of his way to make sure that we know that some secrets are too big to keep. Some secrets just cannot be kept secret. And so they slip and they slide and they leak out and they cause a pretty big ruckus. And Mark brings this up again and again and again and prominently so in this story. And that means that he thinks it is important for people like you and me to know and to pay attention to it. So we will revisit it a bunch. So this particular story starts with Jesus leaving a place called Tyre and making his way to a spot on the Sea of Galilee that's in this region called the Decapolis. And if if you looked on a map and you plotted Jesus' journey out on a map, you would see that it's this really circuitous, zigzagging journey. It probably took a long time um, for him to do that, and that seems to be the point that Mark wants us to get, that Jesus was spending a long time in these places, which is really interesting because they are definitely not the kind of places that good Jewish boys are supposed to be hanging out in. These are not Jewish places. These are Gentile places. Jesus is roving all around in pagan lands. And I think it's a pretty purposeful trip. If you were here two weeks ago, you might remember that Pastor Dan talked about Jesus' arguments, these arguments that he had with the religious leaders of the day, his contemporaries, and the arguments were about the laws and the traditions that these folks had about what makes people religiously acceptable to God, what makes a person religiously acceptable to God, or as they would put it, what makes that person clean. They didn't just argue about that, they also argued about the other side of the coin, what makes someone religiously unacceptable to God, or in their language, what makes them unclean. So this is the argument that Jesus is having with this religious leaders. And in this argument, he tears their whole house of cards down. And he says, listen, it is not certain things or certain people or certain foods or certain places that make someone unclean. And this is really, really disturbing to the religious leaders. But I don't think it's nearly as disturbing as what Jesus says the real problem is. 
He said it was the condition of our hearts that makes us clean or unclean. That's the thing that really matters, and only God can get in there and get at that. So Jesus has just had this really important watershed argument with the religious leaders, and the very next thing he does is physically embody this argument. (laughs) He puts flesh and blood onto this argument. He leaves uh, the safe confines of Galilee, and he travels into places that his contemporaries would have considered wildly, irredeemably unclean. That's where Jesus goes next. And not only does he go there, More than that, he hangs out with, and he teaches, and he touches, and he sits down with, and he eats with all of the people in those places, and it is beautiful. And so last week, Tyler told us about this dinner party that Jesus was at that gets crashed by this pagan woman who wants her daughter healed, and after a really interesting back and forth between her and Jesus, which evokes her faith, he heals her daughter. And this leads us back to that notion of some secrets being too big to keep. Some secrets that can't be secrets for very long. Here's one of the biggest secrets that gets out in this moment. And that that is that Jesus and the kingdom that he has come to announce are not just for his sisters and brothers by blood. Jesus is transcending old barriers of ethnicity and he is eviscerating the traditions that were attached to those ethnicities. The secret is that he is for the whole world, including that mom who impertinently crashed the party and all of her people. And that means he is for me and you too. Like Jesus has said, it is only God who can get to the heart of people, and he is apparently pretty insistent about it. And so Jesus makes that argument come to life. He, He shows what that looks like in real life. It's good news for people like you and me. And I think that this trip is also a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus in his world. Because to follow Jesus is to move into unlikely places, to places where we never imagined that we would find ourselves. And to follow Jesus means that we also are called to sit down and to eat with and to love the stranger and the outsider and the unlikely. And so this trip, just this trip, in these strange places, It brings up a question. How much space do you and I leave in our schedules? How much space do we make in our homes or in our budgets for following Jesus to places and people like this? Because following Jesus means that we will have to follow him there. So Jesus is on this journey. He continues this journey through these unlikely places. He roves his way over to this region called Decapolis. And a group of people bring a man who was deaf and who also had a speech impediment to him. And they beg him to put his hand on him, which is obviously their way of asking for Jesus to heal this man. Now, we don't know much about this man other than to know how difficult it would have been to live with these conditions in the ancient world. I mean, it meant that he probably didn't have work. 
and that if his family, his immediate family, didn't care for him, which was not a given in the ancient world, then he was dependent on the charity of others just to get through another day, just to be able to eat, just to be able to live. So Jesus sees this man, and for some reason he becomes determined not to make a spectacle out of the situation. Mark makes sure that we hear it, that we know. (laughs) Jesus took him aside from the crowd privately. It's hard to know exactly why, but this is, of course, where we come back again to the secrecy thing. In the story that Tyler told us about last week about this mom who comes into the dinner party, this is how Mark started that story. Jesus went into a home, and he didn't want anyone to know he was there. (laughs) And then here we are again. Jesus seeks out a private place with this man. And here's what it looks like. It looks like Jesus is torn. I mean, on the one hand, he absolutely, positively wants to help these people. And there is nothing that's going to stand in the way of him doing that. But on the other hand, he really, really does not want people to talk about that part of what he's doing. Now, I think that this will become more clear to us in a couple weeks. And that is a shameless plug to be back you know, week after week, and hear the story of Mark together. But for now, let me say that I think one of the reasons does, that Jesus does this is because the things that he, are do, he is doing are easily misunderstood. Maybe, maybe a better way to put it is that the things that he is doing are not fully understood. Jesus is not a healer. He's not a traveling sideshow. These things that he is doing are intricately connected to this thing that he is teaching about God's kingdom. And even in a more complex way, the things that he is doing are intimately tied to his own identity. But that is the kind of thing that easily gets lost in the spectacle and in the enthusiasm around the spectacle. The the immediate thing, the visceral thing, is the healing. I mean, people can hardly believe their eyes, and they can't wait to tell everyone what it is that they've seen. But the more hidden thing, the more difficult thing is to ascertain what do these healings mean? What do they say about Jesus and what he's doing? What do they say about who he really is? And I think that is the part that Jesus is getting at when he tells people to be quiet. (laughs) It's like he's saying to them, just wait a little while. Just put a cap on it for just a little while. Because eventually, here at the end of my story, you're going to see the bigger picture and all of this stuff is going to make a lot more sense. And I think that's at least one of the reasons Mark mentions this secrecy so much. The other gospel writers aren't interested in it at all, but Mark mentions it again and again and again. Because he wants us to all start scratching our heads and thinking about it. What does this mean? (laughs) Why does this keep happening? He wants us to begin to make sense out of it and sense out of Jesus' identity. I hesitate, kind of, to put it like this, but Mark telling us over and over again that Jesus' secrets get out, it's like the meta leak. (laughs) It's the leak behind the leak. And whether we're Christians this morning or we're not Christians or we're not sure who we are at all, one thing is clear, Mark is trying to get our attention with this. And I think it's worth paying attention. 
But here, with this particular man, I think maybe something else is going on as well. I mean, this guy has probably been gawked at his whole life just because he's different. So maybe the privacy was for him. You know, maybe the privacy was actually the beginning of the healing. Jesus is restoring to him the dignity of compassionate attention. <laughs> the dignity of a, of a loving look before he restores his hearing and speaking. And the way that Jesus restores his hearing and his speech make it one of my favorite healing stories in the whole Bible just because there's all this impenetrably strange and beautiful stuff in it. I mean, Jesus spits, presumably, into his own hand and then he touches it onto the guy's tongue. And then he lifts his hands up beside that guy's head and he puts his fingers into his ears. Imagine this moment. I mean, Jesus has healed plenty of people before, and we've seen it again and again. And Mark, he's healed plenty of people just by saying something or just by touching them. A couple of times, Mark has told us about people who just reach out and touch Jesus and they get healed. And he, he doesn't even know that it's about to happen. In fact, there are times in Mark's gospel where Jesus heals someone just by saying to someone else, they're healed. <laughs> It's clear Jesus doesn't have to be anywhere near a person to heal them. He doesn't have to say or do anything to that person. So what in the world is going on with this? I have no idea. <laughs> Other than to say the obvious, it is a deeply tactile and deeply physical approach. This man would not have been able to hear the word of healing when it was spoken. So maybe Jesus wanted him to feel it. It seems wholly compassionate and wholly intimate. And this leads me to think about this other thing that we talk about and pray about and speak about a bunch here at Covenant, and that is that Jesus meets us always in the places where we are intimately. We don't have to get our acts cleaned up. We don't have to understand everything about him. We don't have to be all churchy like we imagine the people around us are all churchy. We don't have to have the questions answered. We don't have to have that struggle figured out. He will come to us and meet us where we are. That's how he always does it. That's how he's doing it right now for every one of us in here. And then there is the sigh that Jesus gives. He has his hands in this guy's ears, and he looks into heaven, and he sighs. Mark uses a really strong word there. Some translations call it a deep sigh. Other translations call it a groan. Why? I mean, why does Jesus do this? Why is this happening? Is he struck with sadness for this man and his condition? Is he angry about the fallenness and brokenness of the world that's led to this condition? Does he really just want the heavens to listen to him? It could be any one of those things, or it could be something else. 
But the result is immediate. He says, be opened, and his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. He is healed. He is restored. And we've got to consider this for a little bit. Jesus certainly fixed whatever was physically wrong with this man's hearing and this man's speech. It was a physical act. And that's what the people all around Jesus ascertain when this guy rolls back and he's talking plainly like there was never anything wrong with him. And he can hear them. That's what they ascertain. This is what has them so animated. Mark says they were astonished beyond measure. They had heard probably through the grapevine about Jesus doing this kind of stuff. That's probably why they brought him to Jesus in the first place. But now they've seen it with their own eyes and they are completely overcome. I mean, that man and all of his friends and all of his family and all of the people who lived in whatever little village he lived in, they had come to believe that the things that were wrong with him would always be wrong with him. And there was nothing they could do about it. And now everything they thought about the world, everything they thought they knew, has been turned on its head. So this is when they say, against Jesus' very zealous wishes that they don't say it, this is what they say, he has done all things well. And that is not insignificant. Because church, that is the highest praise, the highest praise that Jesus has received up until this point in Mark's story. The highest praise. Just think about it for a second. When Jesus does things like this among his own people and in his own land, in the places where he's supposed to be, and he's done a bunch of it, he is met with fear and questions about who he is. Who is this guy? But here he is in places where he's not supposed to be, among a people who are not his own, and they heap on him the highest praise. He has done all things well. And even though they don't know the significance of it, they add to that by saying he makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. And that's when it becomes clear that Jesus, he's certainly healed this man's physical condition, but there is something else much, much deeper going on as well. Those words that they say, he makes the deaf hear and he makes the mute speak, they are an unmistakable echo of Isaiah 35, our Old Testament lesson that Trebia read to us this morning. Now, these folks don't know that they're quoting Isaiah because they don't even know who Isaiah is. But Mark, for his part, makes it super clear that we're supposed to hear this together. (laughs) He's used really strange words to describe this man's physical ailments. Only here in the New Testament do those really strange words appear. But do you know where else they appear in the Greek translation of Isaiah 35? Mark wants us to hear, he wants us to read this story in light of that story. And in that chapter, Isaiah is talking about the day when God comes to be with his people and to heal them and to restore them and to forgive them. 
He says on that day, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. On that day, Isaiah says, on that day, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and they will come to Zion with singing. As old Charles Wesley puts it, their loosened tongues will be employed. (laughs) Our loosened tongues will be employed on that day. And so this moment, Mark wants us to see it with clarity. This moment is not just about a really amazing thing that happened to this one guy in this one region a long time ago. It is a sign. It is a sign that God is moving into his death-laden, broken world to restore it forever and to bring healing into that world. It is a sign that that true story of the world, the deeper drama, that that is happening and that Jesus is at the very center of that story. This is what you call um, situational irony. (laughs) Mark does this all the time. The most unlikely people that you can imagine are the first humans in the story to stumble into the secret of who Jesus really is. They're the first ones to put their finger on his identity, even though they have no idea that's what they're doing. That's the deeper thing. Yes, Jesus has healed this physical problem, but the deeper thing here is that this healing is a taste. It is a taste of the full and the complete healing that will come when Jesus returns to make everything new again. On that day, church, listen, there won't be a healing here or healing there or for this person or for that person. It will be healing for all God's people everywhere. Like we heard in the New Testament lesson, it couldn't be any more clear than this church, we shall all be changed. And not just from those things that are physical, but from the things that stand behind our physical brokenness, that sin and, and, and the entropy of sin that stands behind it. These things will be forgiven and healed on that day. That is the day that Jesus is marching to with love and determination and resolve. But he knows, he knows first There's going to be this trial, and then there will be a cross, and then there will be a death. That is where his own tongue will be silenced, and his own ears fall deaf. And then there will be a resurrection, and there will be an ascension to the right hand of the Father. That is when he will be restored the first fruits of this new humanity leading sisters and brothers like you and me, the ones who follow after him through repentance and faith into our own healing and the healing of the whole world. That is the secret church that will one day be screamed from the rooftops, and you can be sure it will be yelled from the rooftops. It is coming. We will be changed. But Jesus tells all of those beautiful people, put a cap on it now. (laughs) Because later, after the resurrection, after you hear about my ascension, 
then all of these things I'm doing now will make sense in the bigger story and they'll point to who I really am. But some secrets are too big to keep. <laughs> some secrets cannot stay secrets. Let me pray. Father, this is a day of joy and gladness. <laughs> we think of that guy um, who woke up that morning, just like every other morning, who imagined, just like all of his family and friends imagined, that the stuff that was wrong with him would just be wrong with him, and there's nothing they could do about it. And then your son comes and changes everything. It is a day of joy and gladness for him, and it is a day of joy and gladness for us to be reminded of it to be given the chance to believe it again and to believe into it again in the way that we live and love in this world. So, Father, do whatever you need to do to help us to believe, to cling to this Jesus by faith for our good and for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in his name. Amen.